Renegade Broadcasting, hard-hitting talk radio. Greetings and good evening. Uh, this is Tabitha once again, and welcome to the White Wellness Hour. Uh, tonight we are live once again, and uh, we have a special two-hour broadcast. Uh, I have a guest with us uh, this evening, someone who's familiar to many of the listeners. But first, I'm going to read a small piece, just a little paragraph I found in regards to um, St. Valentine's Day and uh, the origin of this, uh, this holiday. So I'm going to begin. And the original name of this holiday was called Lupercalia. The age-old tradition of St. Valentine's Day was called Lupercalia in heathen times. It was held on the 15th of February, which heathens considered to be the end of one year and the beginning of the next. The day was named after a god called Lupercalus, who was similar to the god of Pan or the god of fertility. During the festival, each young man would pull a name of a young woman out of an urn full of names. They were expected to spend three days together as lovers during the festival and then an entire year in a relationship together. From these liaisons, many young people would find themselves continuing into a longer relationship. A succession of popes were scandalized by this festival and, of course, tried to uproot it unsuccessfully. But finally, in the 5th century, Pope Gelasius managed to rearrange it in such a way that the martyred Saint Valentine was worshipped on this day. What actually happened is that a boy would present a token of the martyred saint to a young woman in order to let him know that he liked her. This later metamorphosized into what we know today as Valentine's Day. Because of the tenacity of the heathen festival and the fact that people were not willing to give it up, the martyred saint Valentine became synonymous with gestures of love and courtship. So that was a little piece that I found that I thought was uh, kind of interesting, so I shared it. Uh, so now I'm going to introduce our guest. Our guest for this evening is uh, Colin, and we're going to be talking about um, transhumanism, disembodiment, and uh, embodiment. Uh, Colin, can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? I can, yes. Okay. How's my sound? Uh, a little low, but good. Okay. I'm not sure if I can turn it up on my end. or. It's louder now. Yeah, it's good. Okay. All righty. Yes. Um, I obsess on this topic, so I think it'll be good. And um, I wanted to 
say that we have uh, North and South represented here. And um, yep. I wanted to start with Christianity because it's it's um part it's it's very important to talking about the um, dissociation from our bodies and nature. And I have had some revelations lately because this mind control book that I found and wrote the, the article on bullfighting about, he, um, William Sargent, he's a Methodist, and I grew up Methodist, okay? And I really was just, I remember looking around and everyone was so subdued and I was just so bored at church. And I always thought John Wesley was um, kind of a ridiculous figure. And later I was, uh, you know, living in Savannah, there's a monument to him. And every year someone puts a beer can in his hand because he's, he's wearing a black cloak and he's very, you know, severe and but everybody knows he was run out of town. Um, he was only in America for 18 months in the colony. And to me, though, um, he represents someone who had an Aryan soul. Um, uh, he called himself, in his old age, he called himself an honest heathen because he said he never really believed what he was preaching. And he's been called the sorcerer who persecuted witches. Um, he's he. I was laughing out loud a few times when I was reading about him because he he would always mention the Druid temples. You know, when he was going around doing these open air revivals, and he was known when he got back to England. He did he brought this revivalist movement where he scared the living daylights out of everybody, so they would, um, you know repent and it was at a time when there was a lot of poverty and it was almost like the love your servitude 1.0 because they were upset and he he kind of helped them kind of love their situation because a lot of them had been pushed into the cities anyway that's my take um i'm hoping to do an article on it sometime but he would mention the druid temples that he saw um he was a diehard vegetarian, um, which I had no idea. And he, here's a quote from him. I believe in my heart that faith in Jesus Christ can and will lead us beyond an exclusive concern for the well-being of other human beings to the broader concern for the well-being of the birds in our backyard the fish in our rivers, and every living creature on the face of the earth. And um, he he had wanted, the other thing that I find funny about him is that he wanted to come preach in Georgia to the savages, to the Native Americans, but he was forbidden to do that because they told him point blank, you will be scalped if you try to do that. And uh, he he was very kind of too pious for the colonists, um, but he went back and he he wrote a book called On Natural Healing. He wrote a book called Primitive Physic or an Easy and Natural Method of Curing Most Diseases. And it was a bestseller. It was his most popular book. 
and he wrote things that we take for granted now, like he wrote, um, this is a quote from this book, those who read or write much should learn to do it standing, otherwise it will impair their health. Um, he, he, um, you know, he said, drink lots of water, um, go to bed early, get up early. Um, but this brings me to, you know, in him, I can kind of see something that growing up in a very, you know, my mom was like a typical church lady and kind of seeing this split, you know, and like there's in in this article it's quoted from Isaiah on the new earth no creature will kill or hurt or get pain to any other but then that's in direct conflict with what it says in Genesis about subduing and dominating every living thing on earth something Genesis something something and mm-hmm. I I just wanted to say you know and then I'll you know I want to get your feedback because I do want to lead into how Christianity is leads to schizophrenia this has been documented but that the I saw this in my mother the other day and she's she's quite a character she goes dancing in another town and she's in her 80s but she she goes dancing and she was coming back and hit a dog and I could tell she was really struggling with it she she kills a dog and she was struggling with it but she was saying in the bible it tells us that you know we we have to protect ourselves and we are superior and it was just this kind of i've heard this before she's kind of made me not swerve when i see an animal on the road is before it's a it's kind of a strange um defiance or something of the of the natural world and i have always been the opposite i've always been super um, attuned to nature and trees. So it was very painful for me growing up to see the split. Um, yeah, should I, I, I know yeah. what you mean. Should I continue? Yeah. yeah, of course, please do. Yeah, I just want to say I could totally relate. Like, I'll break for a bug. I mean, that's just always the way, like, my mom was. I'd always see her take um, a bug and take it outside the house and like rescue it as opposed to like uh, stomping on it like almost the way like a like a Jane like the people uh some people in India perhaps with that religion they kind of do that where they just like uh wear a mask over their face or have this device where they walk so they won't even uh I don't know guess get kill bugs or hurt bugs oh yeah I mean we've even we're even we even don't even kill roaches it's pretty bad around here but um I mean, we do we do control them, but we don't we don't want to kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so let me let me. Um, I found this interesting study because this is gets into disembodiment, and it's so related. I think the overall theme that has come to me lately is that we're looking at a religion uh, that has, and I see eating disorders connected to this and the trans agenda that they it's all to do with disassociation, creating disassociation, um, kind of taking us out of our immediate environment. And there's a study actually that was done at University College London 2013, and they were talking about did, did Christianity lead to schizophrenia? And schizophrenia, the word, is a very recent, label is from the early 1900s 
but what they're they're saying that they had madness, different types of madness before, but nothing that kind of sustained itself and was based on this kind of mind this mind landscape. But they they the pre premises six novel aspects of Christianity may be significant for the emergence of schizophrenia. An omniscient deity, well, there's a lot of language in here that's kind of overdone, but a downplaying of immediate sensory data. So, and then a, a scrutiny of yourself. Um, so basically taking you out of everyday sense data. This is, this is the same thing we see today with trans transhumanism. Um, and then what the study noted was that they saw an, a, a sharp rise in a, what they called a new insanity without fevers in the early Christian era. And um, someone named Celsus, I've never heard of him in the first century, said it was showing had to do with false images, distorted, disordered judgment, inappropriate laughing, and foolish amusement altogether in the same package. And then they noticed that the, the study pointed it out how um, it was seen in the 16th century in different places where they had a higher incident of Purit Puritans and Catholics. They saw schizophrenia in younger adults, or what appeared to be. And when they when they are talking about it, they're talking about something sustained, where someone someone is sustained in a mindset of uh, where they're not in reality. Um, take a little water here. Um, yeah, those are those are all excellent points, and I, I completely agree. Mm -hmm. I almost feel like it's a like a mind virus that can be passed on from uh, from parent to child if it isn't like uh, you know nipped in the bud and healed and taken care of. Yeah, and I, I remember feeling very um, pained by some of the um, demands, like you know your insides are saying you don't want to put on hose, you know, and lipstick and. I mean, my mom wanted us to wear lipstick to church. It sounds a little weird, but um, and I, I don't know if I'm finished the story. But the other day, you know, I was telling her mom, "It's it's okay. You can feel bad that you hit a dog. I know that you do feel bad that you hit one." And and then she admitted that she did. Um, I just know her that well. I know that she is having a, a conflict there. But this, the reason why the um, John Wesley is interesting to me is because this, in this book, they relate John Wesley, his tactics for conversion, Pavlov, and studying the shell shock soldiers of World War One and World War Two, and. In a nutshell, I think they were looking at different ways that people can become what they call um, go into collapse of the nervous system. Protective inhibition is what they call it. This is when people become very flat. You know, we see a lot of that today. Um, 
And I wanted to point out that the original name for the Macy Conference was Cerebral Inhibition. Mm -hmm. uh, but they, they changed it, the name. And some of the, it's, it's to, you know, to do with the detachment from embodied experience. And, yeah. um, and then with Christianity, you, your agency or your ability to act in the world is, becomes problematic uh, because then you don't know whether to take credit for it or if it came from outside yourself. It's, it gets complicated. And then, you know, your agency is withdrawn from the natural world was what the study concluded, the one I was mentioning before. And I, I, I'm just kind of starting to see how these all fit together because, um, you know, we see a lot of, I mean, in my, in my lifetime, I've really seen this whole, probably in years too, a rev, revving up of this tension that's been created, obviously, to uh, overwhelm the nervous system. And I even, I even think of SJWs who are easily triggered because in Pavlov's work, he's got this different categories. And one is equivocal. equivocal. It's like every, everything's equal, like the small stimuli and the big stimuli. Like you get the same like intense reaction. Um, and, then, and then another one, I was thinking about this today because 2012, that whole PSYOP, um, I remember my nephew, he was 11, and he's in his 20s now, but he he was thinking there was no future. This was in 20, 2008, because remember, they were building up to 2012 in those years before. For a long and time, really, yeah. And then Pavlov's work, he found out that the most stress was caused by waiting for something to happen. So I think that this is why some of these, um, you know, whatever you want to call them, I think 2012 might have had that as a, a goal along with, you know, dystopian everything, all the movies and um yeah, that's a yeah. that's a good point because I I would say that I mean I've seen it happening I guess slowly since maybe I don't know the early 2000s everything seems I guess about but around 2012 and that's only six plus years ago I mean think about how many things have been accelerated uh, since that small time of six years definitely a lot of stuff has has happened yeah and and I feel like people are. It definitely, you know, I've noticed something with the people that are really engaged with, like, Facebook, like, they're in there. There's something working on them, for sure, um, in an in a active way. Yeah, I would say the same with uh, Instagram, with people who are, you know, maybe posting, I don't know, 10 pictures of themselves every day. Like those types, I mean, they're definitely controlled, I'd say, in a multitude of uh, ways. Yeah, 
and then and then that brings in this issue of the the image and who are you and um, that you can be different your avatar um, well you know you can be someone who puts forward your your um, yourself but you can have lots of different identities online too um, the you know, especially if, if you have to kind of be um, covert. <laughs> um, yeah, you can kind of be who you want to be, though. Uh, and your your avatar could be whoever you want it to be, essentially. And now you can become whatever you want to be, you know, whether it be the opposite sex or a cat or a toaster. I mean, that's that's where it's headed. Yeah, and it's... It's just a, a progression, and I wonder, you know, if we take calls later, if, if anyone wants to um, has thoughts on that. I'm starting to wonder if some of these, like when I was coming up, um, you know, the eating the eating disorder thing was just it wasn't even it didn't have a label yet, but it was starting. Basically, it's an anxiety disorder but you know I feel like it's they're talking about it being from diet culture and and later um, we can talk about you know it's always this kind of amorphous amorphous thing like diet culture but you know we know it's coming from certain urban centers and a very um, coming from fewer um, minds than we think it is. So is this, what do you think of that idea that it was kind of a, tra- it's being a, tra- it's a transition toward us divorcing ourselves fully from consciousness, from our body? Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree. It's divorcing us from uh, our body and also divorcing us from our, our food, which is so tied to, to who we are. Uh, so yeah, I think it's it goes on both levels. It makes people almost have a fear of food, I would say, and, and view it as something negative as a, as opposed to a form as a as, as opposed to a form of uh, sustenance and sociality uh, and nutrition and all those things. So I think it gives people a a really uh, morphed version of what it truly is. And then uh, with the uh, the physicality of it, it makes people, I think, with the culture of who they show in the media want to obtain a body that's not realistic either. Yeah. And and there's kind of a backlash I noticed because there's within the the eating disorder um, specialist, if you want to call them that, there you, know, you have this uh, bad acceptance that they're fighting fat phobia, but yeah. something strange is happening where um, I looked at my yearbook the other day, and I everyone was just um, kind of normal size. Are I mean, are people getting bigger, or I'm not really I don't have my finger on the pulse of young younger people, or but there there may be. Maybe the the corrupted food that's making people bigger, 
but almost I look today at because I've been um, tuning into an eating disorder conference, and almost all of, a lot of the speakers are very heavy, like very heavy, um, and tattooed, and it's it's kind of this thing of I'm here I am take me as I am, and and I do think that. It's complicated. I mean, I think, I think, I don't want to, I mean, we, we are so into, none of them talk about the programming. That's the problem. Yeah, they never get to the root. I feel like that's the problem with so many things. They, they have an idea of what's going on, but they never dig deep enough and say, okay, here's the tap root. Let's talk about that part. And a lot of them are doubling down on the, the trans agenda, which you know, it it puts you at odds with your yourself from the beginning, like your biological self. And um, we we have we have a kind of a corrupted system, but we can look for basically. It seems the choice between the natural and the the unnatural, and being in this world and not being in this world. And for me. My sense of being embodied is definitely connected to my sense of place. And, you know, you, you were talking uh, with Sinead the other day about Alex Gray and those images. It did make me think that one thing about a lot of this um, self-actualization, and it's, it's very kind of rooted. It's just me in the, on the mat and, um, or... Um, and his images, it's, it's just disconnected. It's like he could be in space, whatever that is, he or she, those uh, strange energy portraits that he does. Yeah, they are almost uh, genderless in a, certain, in a certain way. I mean, sometimes you can tell they actually have breasts or what looks like more of a female face and skull, but there's, there is something kind of genderless about them. Mm-hmm. Well, and um, since we mentioned transhumanism, and yeah. I can uh, give a little lead into this first clip. Okay, good? I think we're coming up on a break in about one minute, it looks like. So we might, maybe okay. we can hold off until uh, afterwards. And no one's in the chat right now either. I'm monitoring the chat, but uh, I don't see okay. anybody in there right now. Yeah. All righty. But if anyone wants to call in, um, please uh, feel free to call in if you'd like to add to the chat at some point. Yeah. So I guess yeah. we'll uh, continue on the other side uh, talking about transhumanism, and uh, we're going to play that uh, trans religion clip, right? Yeah. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I look forward to it. Okay. I wonder yeah. where um, it does seem quiet lately. Yeah. Good? Yeah, I see I see Kyle in chat. Okay. That's that okay. inside. Okay.
cry. He sucks the blood. Juliet! The best a rabbi can get. Gillette razors now come with our patented rabbi spit lube strip. Save money and mutilate your baby at home. Other designs include the bear range to shave your back to looking like a child. Or why not try our original razor for cucks who still believe in mass media manipulation. Jewess to sun will genocide everyone. Gillette, the best the Goyam can get. Thanks, Juliet. Welcome back. Uh, I have Colin uh, joining me, and we're about to uh, play a clip uh, in regards to transhumanism. Okay. I just wanted to say who they are. Um, sure. One of them. The first speaker is Rabbi Yusef Kazan of Chabad-Lubavitch Jewish community in New York. The second is Marvin Minsky, an MIT computer science professor, and then there's a narrator, and then Frank Tipler, who is a, a proponent of the Omega Point Theory, and he, he went to MIT and studied with Norbert Wiener. I'll just talk a little bit about that more later after the clip. Okay, okay sounds so good. Just, yeah. The prophecy of Isaiah is that the time will come when the world will be filled with the knowledge of God, just as the ocean covers the sea. And it's a prophecy which was said by Isaiah many, many years ago. We today are able to actually see this happen. Today you have the Iridium satellites, which are bringing the entire world connected into one small unit, where telephone technology, wireless technology is being able to bring everybody together. This is something unheard of and undreamt of in the past. But these were prophecies which we heard of from our sages. And just as we heard those prophecies and we're seeing their fulfillment and their happening, so will the other prophecies happen where we know that the coming of Mashiach and the coming of the Messiah will happen. Technology is enabling us to actually see this happen. Not so much in the form of a person or a teaching, but I would almost say the Internet is the Messiah. You know, Marshall McLuhan said uh, 
that the age of the Holy Ghost would be manifest by the descent of electricity over the entire planet. He identified electricity with third person of the Trinity. In that sense, then, we are now living in the age of the Holy Spirit, and the Internet is its vessel. Human population has spread over the world, transforming the biosphere into a conscious sphere. Some theorists now identify the Internet, which turns the world into one global village, as the first step to merge all human consciousness into such higher form of complexity. It might seem a rather far-fetched interpretation of what telecommunication offers today, but there are some people, even within the scientific community, who consider the merging of our consciousness to be plausible in the future. If you have a hundred people who each are good at different things, maybe you should make one bigger one that uh, has the best parts of all that. So once people are machines, you could say, why don't we combine these and condense it and make it more elegant? So uh, we have to have a new idea about existence. The person who formulated this idea in its most elaborate form is Frank Tipler. Life is basically computing. So what we should think of this life in the far future as being computers. The real essence of life, however, is not the hardware, but the software, the programs in the computers. For example, we humans might decide to upload ourselves into computer memory banks, which will then go out and colonize nearby stars. They will be virtual humans, not humans at the lowest level of reality, which is what we now are, but you might think of a spiritualized aspect of ourselves. This is solid science, but now science and religion have become intertwined. I can use either language, scientific language or religious language, to describe exactly the same thing. Okay. Yeah, that yeah, was uh, that, that very telling. <laughs> it's from a, a video on YouTube called um, Transhumanism and its Digital Messiah, Part 2. It's mm -hmm. got also the Dalai Lama talking about how he'd like to be uploaded into a computer, his consciousness, and that maybe the next Dalai Lama will be... Uh, Like that. And he says, then the next Dalai Lama may be like that. Ha uh ha. -huh. <laughs> uh, the way he talks. Um, and, uh, you know, he's on board. But, uh, and I found it interesting. I don't know where I heard this, but MIT, of course, is a center for a lot of this. And Norbert oh, yeah. Wiener wrote a book called God and Gollum. And, the subtitle is Where Cybernetic Impinges on Religion. So this, you know, this, um, I guess in the past I've thought of the technocracy as just kind of this way that they want to control, but I, you know, starting to see kind of the, the religious aspect. Uh, it's frightening. Um, I, it kind of Very. makes me think. Yeah, it makes me think of um, how America was founded on religious freedom, 
And of course, the big question is, are they going to allow, you know, um, people to live natural, naturally? You know, it's like in Brave New World where they have um, the savages that I, I listened to the audiobook recently, and they they live on these reservations and everything. But I do think it's worthwhile talking about how to, um, in the midst of all this craziness, create some sense of a natural society and, and the conflict of that all these different things that create dissociation. And yeah, cause us to, to want have to leave like our that. bodies. What's that? I think we, we need to have something like that as the world becomes uh, ever so plastic and um, just synthetic and just completely unnatural. We really need to secure that more so than ever uh, until it's completely, you know, just obliterated. Well, and then you look at how you can relate the the body with the earth body and how you know, it's it's getting this chemotherapy. Someone likens the chemtrails to chemotherapy, and against our wishes. And uh, yeah, there's a lot that's not in our control. But then you know you have to can't lose hope that because um, there are a lot of people who still want to live in sync with nature, and they may have other mindsets like um, that are conflicting with it. You know, that's that's the tricky part. Like with the recent hur- uh, hurricane, um, there's still a lot of people in grief about all the trees that have been lost in this area where uh, my family lives. But, and, and this is like, like a deep grief, you know, people, um, are trying to get over what they've lost. Um, you know, trees are very central to um, our. I mean, I, I can't live. I can't live in a place with no trees. I just can't. I feel the same way. Yeah, it's really just even being on vacation where you're not around enough uh, greenery is, uh, you know, or just visiting some person or. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I like about where I live is that there is a lot of greenery. Mm-hmm. Well, let me, um, if it's okay with you all, I want to talk about a transhumanist. It's not my favorite topic because it, it does give me kind of a itchy yeah. feeling. Yeah, um, same. But please, yeah, yeah. Please, please do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I, <clears throat> I feel like yeah, I want to kind of move on from this um, and, and kind of really devote myself to. I do, I do live very close to nature, um, but there's something in me that kind of drives me to look at these things like, why, why, why is this happening? Um, but there's a. I'm very. Um, I was looking at different videos on transhumanism because I wanted to understand it, and. Uh, there's a woman called Natasha Vita Moore. It's kind of a made-up name. I think it means more life or something. Okay. And her thing is the whole body prosthetic. She's a transhumanist, and she's a tribe 
269, but she's kind of got that look that a lot of Hollywood people have. The overdone, like, uh, plastic <clears throat> surgery look? Yeah. And she talks about, um, she's got something called body by design and um, wearables. She, it's kind of this thing of we're already wearing um, our enhancements. We're going to be enhanced. And I feel like it, it, maybe other people have already realized this. It's a fear of death, I think. You know, it's the big um, part. Yeah. And. I have to laugh sometimes when I hear these people talking about how they're going to create something that will be able to sense. She was talking about how you'd be able to sense the warmth of a coffee cup or <clears throat> be able to touch a book, but it's like we can already do that, you know? <laughs> it's like... Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> kind of a bizarre thing to say. <laughs> yeah, and then and then this idea of you can be whoever you want, uh, is a quote, our bodies will be the next fashion statement. We will design them in all sorts of interesting combinations of texture, colors, tones, and luminosity. And then one thing I found interesting about her, well, she talks about, um, she created artwork called the Primo Post-Human, which depicted how humans in the future might look with technological enhancements like color-changing skin. So I see a theme here that you could be any color. um, And here's the part that made me think of what when you were talking about Instagram and different selves. And she was talking about how you can have... Now, this really started to blow my mind a little bit. I was like, okay, I've had enough. She was talking about how app will have a one primary self and then sub-personas. You can have an avatars that are having different experiences in multiple environments. And I know there have been TV shows about this um, that I also can't watch because I just find them ridiculous and confusing. And different personas. Talking about, it's very schizophrenic. So let's get back to this issue of they're trying to make us all comfortable with having a compartmentalized life. Yeah, it's like they wanted people to be fragmented, essentially. Exactly. And she said, we have different personas. You're the sex object. You're the worker. You're the educator. You're the jokester. You're the person who's cooking dinner. I should do the try to do the (laughs) voice like Sinead does it. Um, and and then she was talking about replicating yourself, and I was thinking about the chosen self-replicating nanobots. <laughs> wow! <laughs> different yeah. sub-personas, different bodies, different environments, with a central organizing system to keep the identity intact. Using robots, AI, and sensing systems wired to the neural network. That's when you can actually feel the Earth, just like you can in a, in a regular body. But, of course, the Aryan um, view, to me, it's so, it's so alien because I do, I do believe that we, I do believe that we, we just change form and I'm not, I mean, I don't want to die yet, but I, I'm not uh, freaked out by it, 
you know, you just see this kind of, you know, you want to put yourself on ice, like cryogenics. Yeah, the freezing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much fear. Mm-hmm. Sorry, there's so much fear uh, of death with all this transhumanist um, stuff. I think that's the underlying, uh, you know, message is that it's just ultimate fear of the unknown, I guess. I, that's how I would put it. Yeah. And what do you think of this this thing of of um multiplying yourself i would I would say that the more fragmented you know a person is, the easier it is for them to kind of cease to exist essentially, so it's just a way of pulling us further and further away from our our physicality our our, you know, our everything, our, our mental, our spiritual, our emotional. They say actually in Kundalini Yoga that we have 10 bodies. So what you're saying right now, I'm just thinking of this as I'm talking to you, this could be a perversion of those 10 bodies. And those 10 bodies aren't 10 personalities that are all functioning separately and antagonistic with each other. It's 10 parts of yourself that represent yourself as a whole. So this could be a perversion of those 10 uh, bodies or essences of a person. Yeah, and it's it's um it feels like a mimic, mimicking maybe of what you just described happening in this kind of belief system, which I think is kind of delusional that we're going to be living in a computational environment, what they call it. We're gonna, I just I just don't buy it. Um, and uh, we can move on to, from transhumanism, though, if you unless you wanted to say something else about it uh yeah would you like me to mention the 10 bodies for everybody that might be interesting information sure okay uh so in kundalini yoga which is uh the oldest um yoga uh there are 10 bodies and uh the truth is that the human body is made up of 10 bodies uh we have the physical body three mental bodies and six energy bodies and these 10 bodies are broken down as followed First is the soul body, second, the negative mind, third, the positive mind, fourth, the neutral mind, five, the physical body, six, the arc line, which is around like the chest area. It said that women have two and that's where um, you hold trauma and you can release it. Uh, Seventh is the aura or the auric body, eighth, the pranic body, nine, the subtle body, and ten, the radiant body. And the 11th embodiment is when all the 10 bodies are under your direction and it produces a pure state of consciousness and you have the ability um, to recognize God consciousness. And uh, you can visualize uh, these bodies as layers of clothing, the physical body being the overcoat you wear for a lifetime. We know we have a physical body because we can see it, touch it and feel it, but we also have other bodies that are equally real, if not more so. Yeah, that's that's a, a, a model I could get behind. And yeah, it makes good sense. Yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of um, I wanted to just mention this last thing with I found this uh, group talking about that we're entering an Anthropocene era, which means the man-made science and all that. And oh, like what Rudolf Steiner spoke about, that type of stuff? Is that what he did? I don't know much. Is it anthropomorphic? Him. Is that what you just said? Anthropocene era. Jesus. Oh, okay. 
That's a different word. Okay. And it's, it starts with our notion of nature is now out of date. Humanity forms nature. And I, you know, I feel like it's, it's part of the Aquarian age and kind of the water bearer, but, you know, this idea that we're entering a, but it, it fits kind of nicely, doesn't it coincide with, uh, becoming gods, um, do what thou wilt, um, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it's, it just, um, one thing I have noticed is that there's hardly any real discussion of, of the natural world. You know, like they, I mean, they talk in abstract about the, the climate and, and, uh, but like people, you know, on the ground talking about, you don't see like, especially like, you know, people that claim to be leaders, they're not talking about the wildlife and the, you know, it's just, uh, we've entered a strange, um, something I never thought, although it's, it's accelerated, um, I never thought that we would be in this type of uh, age, you know. Yeah, I can I can definitely agree with that. And as a child growing up in the 80s and 90s, I I didn't envision that uh, it would be like this when I was at this point in my life. No, definitely not. Yeah. Um, when I and I and I want to say that I think when I think of embodied, I think of I feel very, um, you know, it's kind of the blood and flow thing, the, um, the feeling close to the land that you're on and the wildlife around you, the birds, the everything. Um, and when, when I didn't have that, when I left my area that, you know, of Georgia that I know so well, I, I really felt um, that rooted rootlessness, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think that that's something. This, this, all this moving around. Um, not that it's always bad, but just it adds to um, this sense of dissociation. Like there's that there's these wasteland places that nobody cares about, um, and. Uh, I mean, I really, I really need to thrive. I really need to be have the season, see the seasons up close and personal. You know, growing my own food and that kind of thing. Um, but we can, um, if you want, we can transition to the Dr. Klinghart clip. Yeah, pretty soon. That sounds great. And, uh, yeah, we can. Yeah. And it is pretty long, um, so we might want to wait to the break. Um, we have about six minutes, it looks like, until we um, until we have the break. Do you want to play it after the break? No, let's play it now because play um, it now. Okay. Yeah, it's about four minutes long. Okay. And um, yeah, this is his name is Dr. Dietrich Klinghart. He's a medical doctor. Um, and he's one of the first that I've heard talk about 
um, the effect of, of EMF on our energy body. Okay. Yeah. Um, as medical doctors, um, we are trained during our uh, university years to become salespeople for the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, that means pretty much everything that we learn about causes of ill health, um, each, each illness is caused by a lack of a particular patented pharmaceutical item. Mm. Yeah. So illnesses are no longer caused by, um, you know, the true causes of illness, but they're caused by a lack of a particular pharmaceutical. And so each illness is looked at, you know, what are the number of patented pharmaceuticals that you need to give to fix it. And so to um, widen the, the perception of physicians, um, I choose a model that goes back 12,000 years to uh, a series of uh, early publications in the yogic tradition in India, uh, which mentions the five bodies, that we're not only the physical body, which is governed by biochemistry, but we also have the forces of physics fully operating in us, creating a field that is larger than a physical body. That's an electromagnetic field, a magnetic field, an electric field, and a biophoton field, light emissions. And that field interacts with the environment that we are in and uh, has a reciprocal effect on the physical body. And uh, of course, the, the effect of electromagnetic radiation is largely on that level, which feeds back into the physical body and changes our biochemistry and our anatomy and our genetic, our gene transcription and, and all that. And so, and, and beyond the electromagnetic level or the level of physics, is of course the psychological and the spiritual levels, which uh, I, I don't think we need to go into here, but it's like there's of course um, a higher part of ourselves that governs the lower bodies. But my experience is, and I think some of the listeners will hear this, if the body becomes uninhabitable uh, for the spirit, um, that means if the body is so distorted and so far away from nature in its biochemistry and its electromagnetic functions that the spirit can no longer live inside the physical body, it simply detaches from the physical body. And patients described that to me have a permanent out-of-body experience. That means that the spirit no longer has control over the functions of the physical body it is detached from it, and with that comes a whole host of problems. First of all, the physical body and the energy body become dysfunctional when they're not governed by the higher bodies, but also uh, the, the, the person in its expression and behavior becomes more and more like a person without a soul, without a spirit. And we see that in the teenagers that are on the cell phone all day long, on the computer all day long, um, that are capable of doing atrocities that are unimaginable to us older people and are uh, there is a, a, a move away from normal, uh, beautiful, compassionate humanity uh, to a um, robot-like existence. 
from this detachment. And, and I would dare to say that the current electromagnetic environment is the main cause of that. It drives, so to say, the soul, the spirit out of the body and makes the body vulnerable uh, to be taken over by lower functions of the brain that are not governed by the spirit. Okay, that was a, a very interesting clip. I think that makes a lot of sense in regard with the last line he just said about um, the lower parts of the body being taken over. That sounds like what they say in a Kundalini Yoga where people are living in the lower triangle, which is uh, the lower three chakras where they're just kind of obsessed with either not necessarily in a bad way, just getting by because a lot of us are still just trying to get by or they just live in like that food, money, sex and all their you know, hedonistic type of uh, thing. So when you're at that low level, you're definitely more susceptible to programming and more susceptible to, to do things without conscience. Yeah. And actually when, um, I'm so glad we were talking about this tonight because I have wanted, ever since you talked about um, the transgender agenda a long time ago, I wanted to uh, talk to you about what you, what you thought about eating disorders. Um, uh, I guess we'll have a okay. break here. Yeah, we okay. have a break coming up. Okay. Okay. Most of you are already aware that the sick freaks ruling our world are engaged in some of the most horrific crimes against children imaginable. This dark and depraved underground is something any healthy person would not even want to consider. But we must investigate their operations and expose these criminals to the light of day so that justice might be done. The recent Pizzagate revelations are just the tip of a massive iceberg. Watch the big picture, Pizzagate and Beyond. Learn the terrifying truth at beyondpizzagate.com.
Mitigate Broadcasting. Welcome back. Uh, this is the White Wellness Hour, and I'm talking to Colin this evening uh, about embodiment and disembodiment. And in the first hour, we talked about uh, disembodiment, and uh, I guess now we're going to move on to embodiment. Yeah. And uh, we were talking before the break about, you know, you had opened me my eyes about things like envy being associated with the lower chakras and uh, I was connecting that to all the programming that you get when you're uh, coming of age and um, much more so now um, the expectations and everything and how divorced it is from most pe- most young people's real life. Um, and then on top of that, having the um, very scrambling of their energy, the, the, the um, electromagnetic, who, especially in the schools, I mean, that, that breaks my heart. And um, I, I wonder how, because I'm extremely sensitive. I'm, I'm the type, um, I'm ex- I can go into one of these big box stores and come out kind of nauseated. Um, and just because of the, all the different energies that are in it. Um, and so, yeah, I think that you know, how we break through, um, want to talk about that, the, you know, I try to keep things really simple after kind of going through a lot of, going on a meandering journey with, on the road to nowhere kind of thing, and and then coming Mm -hmm. back full circle and trying to keep it simple with the elements, I try to um, keep it simple with the, the Celtic kind of, um, elements, land, sea, and sky, and then fire, and I can really relate to that because I I have a lot of Celtic um, lineage, and that's probably the strongest lineage I have, Um, but just uh, embodiment to me being, including the ancestors and whatever they might have for you, and then these are our people, like when I'm out and about and I'm, I see people that are off balance and, and sad and all this, these are my people, you know, and, and I don't, um, there's just kind of this crazy, um, 
assault. So. Yeah, I can yeah. definitely resonate with what you're saying about um, seeing your own people just in a, a state of, uh, you know, just uh, lowness, I guess. I was at, actually, uh, I went to a bingo event, something I haven't done in probably 20 years, a couple of weeks ago with some friends and uh, just so happened pretty much 90% of the people there uh, were white. And I haven't been around that many white people in a long time. It was probably like hundreds. Uh, and a lot of them were just in such a, a sad state. You could just see they were large. A lot of them just looked disabled and there was food there. Uh, and uh, they asked people to come up for a dessert. I didn't eat any of it. And uh, everyone just grabbed everything, like all these sweets and loaded their plate up with it. And then when the time everyone else got up, the sweets were all gone. And I was just really just in, in shock that they could just, uh, you know, just go for such crap so quickly and I guess put some type of stock in it. But I reminded myself, like in the past, I probably would have said like, oh, these people are just disgusting. But now at this point, I just remind myself, I'm like, those people are in a really just dire state. And uh, I try not to think bad stuff about them, uh, but just try to think, you know, how could they be? kind of pulled out of this um, this disease that they're in. Yeah, I was thinking about, you know, how many people are at the McDonald's drive-thru and you see all these yeah. kind of nicer cars. You see all kinds of cars. Did you, you know, you see people that could definitely, you know, just could afford better level food. You know, we have to factor in that a lot of that's, um, addictive possibly and then I wanted to mention that uh, I was a little bit shocked when I started to because I'm not in the loop of this eating disorder specialist group but they they talk about how wanting to eat clean and orthorexia um, oh yeah I read a book about that is like um, something bad um, yeah. Food. Yeah. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? I was really shocked. Sure. I actually read this book, uh, I guess a while ago, ten about ten years ago, called Health Food Junkies, and it was about this guy, this I guess doctor maybe, who had coined the term orthorexia, which means you know uh, right, and then uh, whatever rexia means, I guess like right eating or something like that. And uh, he claimed that he had it, and he developed it like slowly after refining his diet more and more until he basically was. Uh, doing like a frugivore diet, like he was just eating like, I think, just raw fruit. Eventually, he stopped doing this, but uh, he makes it sound like eating healthy is a disorder. And I've seen some people push this also on Instagram, too, where they'll uh, they'll basically say they used to have this and now they eat this way. Uh, I mean, I think that everyone has who follows a healthy diet, who has a healthy relationship with food, has some leeway within you know, the confines of what their uh, dietary regime is. It doesn't have to become where it's like, uh, you know, completely, I guess, like very strict and very rigid where it could become like an eating disorder or they could be using the healthy food in really small quantities or they could be purging it. So I guess it's an overlap sometimes with um, anorexia and, and bulimia or even with like purging, like purging on food that you think is healthy and then maybe, you know, have you know throwing it up and stuff like that yeah I've, I've seen a lot of this it seems to be something more that uh is getting information out there i think also to probably 
to divide people or move them away from the possibility of eating healthy, they'll think it's like that they'll have a disorder if they eat healthy or something like that, which is obviously not the case. Yeah, I was reading about a, a writer who had written about biodynamic farming and um, being a locavore and all this, and then she kind of realized that she was had a disorder and and that this kind of moral judgment about going to McDonald's, to use that uh, example. So there's some, some interesting things going on in, in this. Um, I wanted to point out that there's there's a very strong vibe that I've noticed from the start with the eating disorder thing of, of like saying it's not just white women. 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 And they're, they're falling over themselves to uh, be PC. And I just wanted to read this. Um, they were giving it. They're giving a workshop, and I just wanted to read this because it just floored me. It's sure, please do. Dis- okay, it's an eating disorders workshop, and it says this is a program that takes into account concepts of power, oppression, and justice. We'll be investigating how forms of oppression, patriarchy, white supremacy, etc., impact us personally and inform our work and relationships. And then it kind of blah blah blah. Well, who are your teachers, leaders in the arena of social justice, what social justice books, trainings have you had? I mean, this is an eating disorder um, workshop. Okay, and then and then the next part, um, it really tells you that if you're a white person, you're going to need to be able to um, not take up too much space. Let's put it that way. Our time together will center the needs and experience of marginalized folks spelled F-O-L-X. Oh, yeah. That's not sure any way of spelling it. Uh We want this training to be an inclusive space for folks with marginalized identities and do not want learning to come from their labor. As facilitators, we will model this approach and are looking for candidates who are committed to managing their discomfort when it arises in the learning process. How prepared do you feel to participate in these conversations and manage your discomfort. I was just floored. Oh my God, wow. things have really changed. For the now, they are West Coast people. Um, they're like a, a ladies ladies couple in in I think Oregon or something like that. So I'm I mean living in San Francisco, I understand. But the thing is, you're how does that make someone feel who is dealing with all this shame and already and plus they like you said they don't get to the root the root of that our culture's been deconstructed we've been pushed you know off our center they're you know erasing us culturally all of this, it seems to be, you know, are these people really still, mar- who's the marginalized one? That's what I want to. Yeah, sound, it sounds like, sounds like somebody is putting the blame on, on whites once again. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like using uh, whites as a scapegoat once again, just like with that whole cultural appropriation um, thing with the, the yoga article I read two weeks back. It just, yeah, it's well, like, I'm not surprised white, it came from white women. 
This is white women. Yeah. I see a lot yeah. of that. Yeah, you know, a lot of I follow some pages that I guess I maybe used to be more interested. I was never re- ever an SJW in any regard for anything. I never would have thought anything like this uh, was at least a bit appetizing. But I guess I found it slightly. Um, I was less slightly less angry about it because I guess I understood it a little bit less. But sometimes I'll see some of this stuff on Instagram, and I'm just thinking like, I used to this that was this wouldn't have been on people's pages in the last year or two but ever since this lgbtp stuff has been really i say ramped up in the last maybe two years and i guess i've been following it more closely so that could be a part of it too but i really do feel they've they've ramped it up with the children at the pride parade you know desmond the amazing all these uh type of things but it seems like every company nowadays is is catering to this agenda whether it's uh yoga clothing or you know food it's it's a crazy. Yeah, and I, I heard I don't understand someone who's my age not realizing cause there was an older woman that was talking about how the whole eating disorder field is in a tipping point where they have to really decide that they're going to um, serve these underserved groups. Um, you know, you it's it's a mystery, but you know, it has a lot to do with programming and Oh yeah. Yeah. And Yeah, I think people but, are be definitely being programmed to accept this too, for sure, even if they don't agree with it or want it for themselves. Yeah. Well, and we can we can talk about um I just yeah, you know, it's a little frustrating because you see these people that are trying to help other women, but they they have uh, they talk about these figures like Sia, the singer, S I A. I've heard of her. Yeah, it's kind of a. I've only seen pictures. I haven't heard any of the music. It's wearing like a, a strange wig and yes, glasses, and it's kind of that dead mouse thing. It's like there's is there anyone there? You know, under that, you know. Um, you know, it, it's it is it is like uh, they're gra- they're grasping, but they there's this whole foundation that you want to kind of point out that has been laid. This demoralization, um, the Pavlovian conditioning. Um, you know, in, in my article, I talked about the double bind that I think is happening with eating disorders. And, you know, I don't have any, you know, direct evidence that they set women up with this diet industry. I mean, part of it is, is greed, I'm sure. Um, but it's all it's coming from the, the, the urban centers, and it's just kind of, it's like this value system that's spread out. Yeah, that definitely makes, makes good sense. I feel like... Uh everything there's so many things that you have to be wary of with all the programming that's going on and eating disorders is just one one channel of how they can just you know pull your essence out of you and then blame whites for it of course mhm yeah take you off your center and then you're vulnerable to to everything all the programming like you said well let's let's move on to you know so much about yoga and Let's let's move on to some ideas about 
embodiment. Okay. Um, yeah, I can I can talk about um, the drinking I had mentioned to you. That oh yeah, let's speak. Let's talk about that and uh, your okay. your um your experience with that. Yeah, and when you know I'm um, you know I'm older. I'm in the youth of old age now. I call it and. Uh, <laughs> And I feel pretty good, though. I feel pretty optimistic, and I feel good physically. Um, and I was, I, but I had, I had recently, I haven't had any alcohol since last September. And for me, I was kind of a moderate, I'd say, you know, my husband and I share a couple of beers, and, but it was kind of an every night thing. And, um, but I realized it was kind of the last holdover from my earlier days because when I, after I kind of, I, I didn't have an eating disorder for out of my teens. It was just in my teens. And then, and then I drank and smoked. And so it's kind of like that was the thing that kept everything at bay, you know, that helped me cope, that made life my, kind of soothed my nervous system that was definitely overtaxed. And um, I didn't realize how much that would, um, how different that would make me feel to just full stop quit. But when I, I did like a liver detox last fall, um, been drinking a lot of water, um, and... I've lost a lot of weight, but the main thing that I wanted to say is that um, I didn't realize how much it was affected my mental clarity, and it kind of is almost comical to me now because I was—I always told myself well, I'm a morning writer, you know, because I, I write and for my work I write and edit it and stuff, and I say I'm a I'm a morning. I can only think in the mornings up to up to noon. That's it, and um, it's kind of cool. I can think all day. I can think into the evening. I can like think late at night. Um, it seems kind of sad a little bit, but I think it, you know, I'm not saying alcohol has the same effect on everybody, but I kind of wish I had um, realized this subtle change before. Um, I just feel a lot more in my faculties. And I wanted to mention if anyone wants to see some uplifting pictures. And a lot of them are white people. It's on it's pictures before and after giving up drinking. A lot of these people are like deep in the YOLO lifestyle. I don't know mm. if you've seen these pictures. They're just like yeah, these before. And I have actually. Have They're pretty, pretty, pretty amazing before and after. Definitely. They're wonderful. If you need some, yeah, they really are. Like those, I mean, you see the the light come back in the eyes. You know, the, the some of the befores will make you really laugh, um, but you know, the, the eyes sharpen, the body sharp, you know, gets toned. A lot of times they'll show someone um, just just totally out of it, which reminds me a little of my, yeah, the 20s. Um, but, yeah, um, it's, it's um, amazing how forgiving our body can be, though, too, um, and how fast. It hasn't even been that long. Um, 
and I do have alcoholism in my family. Um, probably when I was younger, I did, you know, well, I know I didn't drink too much. And, um, but I, I just, it is a wonderful thing to kind of, one thing is I, you know, I had an inner intensity when I was younger that I just almost couldn't handle. And I think when you're older, it, you know, when I, as I've gotten older, I'll just speak for myself. It's, I can deal with it better, but I'm, but like a certain time at night would come and I would need to kind of, um, you know, take the edge off is what they say. But, um, I have dealt with a lot of my inner tensions. I think that's, that's helped. And, and that's, that's the, um, process of becoming embodied. Um, yeah. And I know not everybody. I, I'm not anti-drinking. I think I think that it can um, have effect. I think I have the. You know, if you're thinking of the different temperaments, I've got the melancholic temperament, um, and I realized that it had kind of um, mellowed my nervous system, and now I'm in a, a place where I can kind of deal with it at its full alertness or something, you know. And and I find it interesting that Dr. Klinghart puts the nervous system in the energy body um, in his five levels of healing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've had experiences with that too in regards to um with alcohol. I was I was never a large user of it, but uh, I find that uh and I I don't really if ever drink nowadays, uh, rarely, and my partner doesn't drink really at all, which is uh, nice because my prior partner was very much a drinker. Uh, but it's uh, you definitely do feel more energized in the morning when you wake up. Uh, you just you feel like you have better memory, uh, better sleep. I feel like my digestion is really better. That's what motivated me to really almost uh, give it up or just you know cut back and only have it like ten percent as opposed to you know, whenever I wanted it, I really feel the digestion is so much better when uh, I don't drink. And also I was motivated by uh, just the fact that there's um, so much, uh, so many pesticides and pollution with the wines, especially uh, the wines in California, they're rife with glyphosate. Like I just completely would totally stay away from those. And so many beers, unless you're getting something foreign, just like with the wine also have like GMO uh, grain or glyphosate. And I was noticing when I was consuming those, I would just get a crazy, like runny nose, start sneezing out of, out of control. And it was, I think my body just trying to rid itself uh, of the chemicals. Cause I've always been pretty sensitive to things as well. Cause I pretty much grew up on like a chemical free diet. So I get, um, very sensitive to stuff that uh, has any type of, you know, chemicals or pesticides in it. So I've definitely noticed with myself uh, difference, I mean, differences with giving it up. And I think it be able to get better into um, a yoga practice too. I know certain people who do yoga do drink, but traditionally uh, they really didn't drink. The traditional yogic diet is like an alcohol free diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was um, having some kind of asthma symptoms at times um, and really the only beer that we have been drinking is um, Heineken it's supposed to be a non-GMO but I, I don't really know if that's true or not but um, and I was attributing that to um, 
because I started to have kind of breathing problems living in New York City after 9-11. There was really bad air down there where around where I lived. And I was down there for a little while. And, of course, six months after the fact they, that we could all get air uh, filters and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I, I can... I'm sleeping better. Oh, the other thing I was going to mention is is I had really cracked skin like on my face, and I was using lanolin. And of course, I've come to find out that's not good. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, uh, but since I uh, haven't been drinking, just that moderate, you know, one full beer a night, um, my skin is well. The you know, your face is not as bloated and and my skin is, is much softer. So yeah, there's a lot of benefits. And um, the other one for me, which I, I in my 20s, my late 20s, I quit smoking. I just didn't want to go into the 30s smoking. And that was a tough one, though, because um, it did seem to kind of, I know the lungs were associated with depression, and then there's the breath, which is the air element, and the, um, and not getting, you know, the full breath. And I, I remember feeling like I had to confront a lot of different, like a fragmented self. I had to confront some of these cells. And um, that was a kind of a trippy experience because I have had times in my life where I did feel very fragmented. So that's why I'm drawn to this topic of um, being a soul flight, um, as Dr. Cleanheart was talking, and different things that knock us out of our bodies and different ways we anesthetize ourselves. Um, you know, in in a culture that is a sensory overload, but you know, you can you can start from the inside out is what I've done is created a life that um, is um, supports my sensitivity. And that's a good um, way of, of putting it for sure. And be having a simple life, I think is good too. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Less is more, you know, sometimes. And then, and then you can always kind of branch out from there. Yeah, I feel like I've pared my life down as I've gotten um, older and more wiser about um, certain things that I just weren't serving me. (laughs) Yeah, and a lot of, um, some of my problems have come from trying to, um, not understanding that I wasn't sitting, I wasn't uh, in sync with people and the environment. And so it's been kind of freeing to kind of just, um, not need to kind of keep trying to find my place out there. And yes, it, we have a break coming and, in. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Okay.
minute. YouTube showed me again. After getting censored relentlessly on YouTube, with video after video and channel after channel getting taken down, we have decided to try a different approach. We now have RenegadeVids.com, which features all the documentaries, parodies, compilations, sketches, and video discussions that are simply too accurate for the kosher censors. There are now many hours worth of hard-hitting videos waiting for you to watch and share. So get on over to RenegadeVids.com. everybody. Uh, I'm speaking with um, Colwyn, and uh, we're talking about um, how we can embody ourselves while we live in a disembodied and uh, ever-changing uh, transhumanist uh, world. So you were saying, Colwyn, before the break? Um, I, what, what was I... I'm sorry, what was I talking about? I'm not sure either. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, oh, well, I was saying that just creating a life that's... Simple. You know, yeah, a simple life. That, yeah, and and uh, some, some stability where you can... Um, and, and just, you know, discipline uh, to, to do the things you want, having high standards. Yes. Um, I yeah I still I I mean I I want to be I want to challenge myself every day and and um, I've done a lot of you know to be grounded I've, I've um, tried a lot of different things uh, you know a lot of different spiritual um, you know I've even tried ayahuasca and just not lately, but like a long time ago, but just okay. been through the, smor- the smorgasbord of spirituality. And, uh, but I, I like, um, to think of the, the elements and, and how each one can kind of, um, bring you into your body, you know, with, and how sometimes they're connected, like Bikram is, Bikram is kind of uh, the heat, the the water, you know, the the sweat. Uh, yes. And yeah, and uh, I always think of myself as kind of a a, a very watery person. 
I'm a, a cancer son. Mm-hmm. Um, got a lot of water, uh, but yeah, we all we have a a lot of elements in play. I think, and and uh, it's good to to you know, like like with air, like not having perspective. You know, sometimes if um, I can be too, you know, if you, I can be too uh, in my own world. And, and then you need that air, you need to kind of soar and kind of get the bird's eye view. Um, and, uh, yeah, the breathing breathing exercises, I, I did some today. It can be very clearing. Yes, very much so. And then water. Water can be um, so cleansing. And um, you know, water has always been sacred um, to the Celts, and there's so many sacred wells. I was reading that in Wales there were over 1,200 sacred wells in like 1950. They did a survey. Wow. Yeah, and there's still some that um, are attended, and people put prayer. Um, Rhythms and um, and I see ways that this kind of instinctively came out of me. I was trying to find embodiment, like I was always into into rocks. Like I don't know if you this might have been before your time, but the pet rock craze. I remember hearing about it, but I think I was a little too small. I think that was like the late seventies, right? Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I was really into it, and uh, I still, you know, I still have an affinity to stones, and, um, but yeah, I have, that was, uh, I would have pet rocks and put them on moss beds and spend a lot of time outside, um, and being around, you know, all the different animals that were, um, in the in the area where I grew up, there were a lot. There was a lot of wildlife, and that's um, you know I think a sense of place is very. If you have it, you know you know it's for me it's been so precious. And my dad has passed away, but he when he was alive he knew all the all the names of all the rivers in the state, and. Uh, it's kind of a, a kind of a groundedness that you don't have as much anymore. Um, and then to, to the trees, but one thing that kept me singing when I lived in urban places was having a few trees that I could really connect to. Um, and on a sad note, though, every single place I lived, the, the trees were cut down and, and, I was, you know, really, especially like in in New York City, there was there were these two trees, so rare, and and I used to go up on the roof and just watch watch them, the tops of them, and I came home one day and there, and I looked over there and there were stumps. Um, it was right next to my building, and I I was I was devastated, and I saw a woman down there walking around, she was devastated too, she was walking around, she probably lived there, looking at the stumps, 
And uh, this type of grief, you know, is is like the grief of forest people, you know, being cut off. And then I, I went up to these guys who were probably New York developers. They were going to put a building there. And and I was, of course, it's after the fact. And I was just like, what? Why did you do that? And they, I, they asked me if I was from California. <laughs> Are you from California? <laughs> But I think I think that 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 has helped me at earthing, like like laying laying on the earth when when I have been upset, you know, it helps to get balance. Yeah, what you say definitely resonates with me too. I feel like if we are a part of nature, which I, I do believe that we are, it would be natural that we would feel our best uh, and you know around the natural world and it's it's just ever increasingly that there's less natural world and people are moving to cities and cities may have you know tree pockets but it's not the same as like living near like a, a place where you can just you know take a hike and just kind of you know disappear into like the forest it's a totally different feeling of uh you know you get an unplugged feeling in a way even if you have your cell phone on you you still have like an unplugged feeling at least i do when i walk through the woods uh you know because you're really immersed in that that forest energy. Yeah, and um, it's uh, there's a book that I I want to get about how they communicate with each other, and uh, that they signal to each other through their root system, and that they're the largest um, nervous system on the planet. Um, if if you want to look at it like that, and um, fascinating, yeah, and I just feel that you know we're we're kind of being wired, our nervous system, we're being uh, high strung, we're being highly strung, um, and the the trees, you know. There, there are a lot of trees uh, coming down where close to where we live, and uh, it's because there's there's a highway coming up, but not near near me, but um, down the road. And um, yeah, I, I feel it very strongly. It's like, uh, how do you deal with this grief? I know there's a whole psycho psychology practice called something to do with echo grief or uh, and I don't want to get lost in it. Um, it is a real thing, but how how can we be embodied as as this is happening? That's a question. That's definitely yeah. a, a a very good question to raise, of course. And how could we kind of uh, I guess fight it in a certain way, or make others realize just how how um, invaluable the natural world is. Yeah, and uh, to to stop spraying, um, there's there's such a you know in the spring there. My husband and I joke that everything is okay, but in California it causes cancer. Because I don't know if you've noticed this. Yes, like, like the proposition the, thing. 
If you right? yeah, if you look on it, yeah, the, I got some cacao the other day, and it says on the back this causes cancer in California. Um, and uh, there's such there's such a strange. Um, I mean that itself is fragmented. It but, is. Yeah, and and a lot of people are spraying Roundup around here. Um, you know, there's a lot of things happening that just make you want to um, yeah, scream, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Tell everybody, shake every shake uh, sense or awareness into everybody. Well, and then and then I think um, a powerful thing is to remind people of the beauty. Like there is a people are really trying to find um, other stories, and and one of those is with nature. Um, you know, they're they're really kind of um, every movie seems to start with a dystopian view. I noticed this recently. Almost every movie description starts with the earth has been devastated and become uninhabitable. Um, a group of lone survivors, something, something. Have you noticed that? I have. I mean, I don't really follow um, the film um, circuit too much, but I have noticed that there seems to be more dystopian and, and sci-fi type of uh, film that always begins with like some type of really desolate, um, you know, situation here on Earth. Yeah, and so you, you know, what is the like having a vision of stories where you have the cause and effect going in the other direction where you start to protect nature and and um, protect water sources and um, it's it really kind of is a the the dominant narrative. Um, we were talking about uh, the one movie Interstellar, um, where they are in the forest. They they're going through cornfields, they have a sky, they have dirt, but they, they go to far-flung points in space and they find planets that they can grow stuff in a lab and it's all gravel. And um, I just, uh, so the, the other thing is coming back to real life and, and real people and, and their experience in in the elements and with around nature. But like you say, it's getting <clears throat> um, there's an acceleration. And sometimes yeah. it feels like you know you know, America's being I hate to say it, but like being liquidated or something. There's some weird feeling like they're just selling stuff off or I don't know. Yeah, it feels like this is a very um, like pivotal time. I feel like we're on the precipice of like something. And I don't think I'm just saying that because I've become um, more aware in the last few years. I think it's just we're, we're leading we're leading up to that. That's what it feels like for me. 
Yeah. And then are there enough people that are um, I've noticed a rise in because I used to be involved in farm sanctuary. I've noticed a rise in um, care for farm animals, different maybe it's, it's the younger generation. I don't know, like a lot of new new places for rescued farm animals. Hmm. Um, so there, there, yeah, there are pockets of. Um, there's a new documentary out about. Um, I think it's called Six Months. It's about. It's about pigs and their lifespan and what they. It's kind of one of those um, factory farm movies that I probably won't watch, <clears throat> but I've seen the trailer. Um, it's uh, and it's it's moving like it it's kind of right their view a little little piglet and seeing like light come in and so it's it's playing on the emotions of of caring for this this animal this creature this this animal this being so I I see I see more of that happening but I don't know how it's going to play out with um this kind of uh, more, this, there's always this kind of, it's inevitable, you know, this is what's happening. We're moving into this new age. I hear that from <laughs> but, people a lot. Like, oh, this is the way it is. Like you're bucking against the stream or you're going the other way. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't want to follow <laughs> whatever everyone else is doing. I've, I've always thought that that was not a path for me, especially the more I know. People are just like, oh, this is just the way the world's going. No, not for me. Yeah, and and not for me. And that's a powerful choice. Yeah, it's a, oftentimes a lonely choice at, at first. But I, I definitely feel that people do agree with a, a lot of, um, you know, the points that are, uh, I guess, uh, familiar, you know, with the network here. But uh, they're just scared to say it or they don't know how to, I don't know how to breach it to other people or how to embody those beliefs that they have, their job, of course. So I feel that like a lot of people, you know, definitely if these ideas that we have were to kind of catch on in a, in a great way, they'd, they'd probably be behind us. They might not be leading things, but uh, I think that they would definitely, um, once the idea became, you know, palatable in a, in, a, in a larger way, they would definitely be behind it. Well, and that's, that's what makes me... Um optimistic about this um, you know, reclaiming yoga and yes and, and this morning I was thinking of the the dog the dogga the Irish um, earth god and how similar uh-huh. it is to Durga I mean I know oh wow yeah completely that's, different that's but, really cool and then there's um there's Awen, it's a chant in uh, the Welsh um, Druidic um, tradition, and it, it's, you know, it's kind of like Om, like Awen, uh, yeah. um, things like that. Um, and and there, there does seem to be 
you know, I have, uh, you know, I came from the liberal, if you want to say, perspective. And you have all these people in yoga studios that are um, embody, look, moving toward embodiment. Um, but it, but it can feel very detached. Like they, you can feel even. I remember going to very crowded yoga classes, and you just still, um, there's not a sense of community. You're kind of still just cut off. I think um, if there could be kind of more um, community, I was thinking I was going to mention this, but that it is, it is lonely because. We're talking about um, a consciousness that's trying to, it's kind of a timeless thing of being connected to nature and it seems like it would be the dominant attitude. Yeah, the, um, the first choice, but it's not. Well, and, and but I feel like there are, they're out there it's, and they may not all have the same is that belief system, like what I'm saying about some of the the conflict with the Christianity, the, mm-hmm. the connection with nature, the the soul connection is there um, to be kind of connected to, and then and then with all the kind of people doing yoga that that have that capacity to kind of be still and, and connect with these different levels that you're talking about and the possibility where that could lead, you know, if you can kind of, if uh, there can be a move toward um, back to the natural with lighting too, that's a big one with, you know, the sun yeah, as opposed to these artificial lights. Yeah, and that does attract so, a lot of people who are in the in the yoga uh, realm. All of those things, just uh, the racial consciousness with most people in the yoga realm, they seem like they are the exact opposite from what I from what I've seen. Yeah, so maybe we just have to be kind of a and develop as a separate. But even you know, it can be finding. Um, kindred spirits that can't feel like you're connecting through technology it's not ideal um, but we are using technology and um, in that way it's disembodied but uh, hopefully it's planting the seeds for something for the future yeah I I hope I hope that too that um, we are planting a seed for something and I you know what I think about a lot of times I feel like a lot of people really don't know the true Celtic roots of yoga and if more um yogis if more white yogis knew that I think that would that would change a lot for them just that's just that one little piece of information could change a lot for somebody especially if they've devoted themselves not just to the practice of yoga but to the the yogic path and if they knew that that was the work of their ancestors I think that would completely change their their consciousness for sure yeah and it kind of spans the 
the whole, um, even though we're more far afield, but it's kind of interesting how it spans like India to the far reaches. We're uh, kind of the less evangelized, if you want to say, um, Celtic peoples. Um, I'm thinking about uh, um, yeah, just just uh, that was one of the things my mom said that there are people in China that are are the least evangelized, um, meaning you know they haven't been reached with the word, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but like uh, and you know I was. Kyle has mentioned that um, they they want to emphasize the Vikings a lot, and mm-hmm. you know, and and the I did I do like that show when it comes on. I try to get the free trial. I've I've got free trial. I always have like free trials going, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, the the there's an interesting comment about. Uh, you know, I think there may be something threatening there with the with the Celts. Um, that they're great dialecticians, so they're great at they're great at what the tribe is good at. You know, the the wordplay and holding opposites and things like that. Um, so, um, and also English has been so bound up with different word spells and things yeah it it definitely has i feel like a lot of people um they just they don't even talk in a way that really resembles english i mean uh, even the a lot of emails i get sometimes like they're just using like what seems like ebonical slang uh in the emails i find it to be a complete turnoff and particularly low class uh but i feel like if you were to watch a movie from 50 years ago and like a show it to a young person now they would think the person almost had like a British accent that were speaking so properly compared to the way people speak nowadays. I mean, English is like kind of like a, I guess I say it's like a lot of spells in the way that uh, it's it's uh, evolved or written, but it's also just been so degraded as well in like the last 20 years, it seems. Yeah. I, I mean, that example of folks and... Yes, exactly. And, and women, like, you know... Oh, uh, with the Y... Or or W I M M I N or yeah or with a Y yeah with a Y M N I've seen both of those yeah and then all these acronyms and then these these things that have slipped in that are part of the technocracy like Google just Google it yeah Um, phrases like that mm -hmm. yeah even like calling someone a person of color and having that be all capitals like POC and then seeing the word white next to it and it's all lowercase. Yeah. Yeah, I pick up on it. I mean, you're reading something in print. I mean, that stuff like very much stands out and seems like the language is just trying to, you know, they're weaving this language. And I've, I've for a long time have tried to resist all the slang out there and, and make up my own words for stuff because I don't want to use anyone else's language. And if I'm speaking it, that's technically a mantra, right? And that's a, mm-hmm. that's like, yeah, that's just basically like, I'm, you know, you're encanting or using their words for their, for their purposes. 
Well, and I've noticed a lot of people quote other people all the time. Like uh, Yes, and possibly these... even incorrectly. Yeah, and it's a little frightening. I've heard this, um, there's someone called Victor Frankl, Victor Frankl, the chosen mm-hmm. night, and wrote a book about Auschwitz and came up with something called Logotherapy. But I, mm-hmm. I've, I've heard it mentioned like three times in the last week. So I was looking into this, uh, see what they were talking about regarding eating disorders. And um, yeah, they're they're all over that. They're, that's why I oh, think yeah. it's kind of an interesting in-run um, to kind of turn that to the advantage because of all these if if we you know if you can and and um a lot of people do see what's happening um they do on different levels fairness mhm if you yeah. look at comments yeah um, cuz of the the fairness thing kicks in and and um are we having a break, or is that the... I think that's the end of the program, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, thank you yeah. so much for the conversation. Indeed. Thank you, Calvin. Good chat. Yeah, you too. Talk to you later. Okay. Indeed. Good night. Bye-bye. Okay. Renegade Broadcasting has a sister site where you can find insightful articles from the past and present, the latest in health and wellness, research, analysis of current events, profound poetry, amazing artwork, lots of videos and podcasts from other content creators, and so much more. We are in a struggle to awaken as many people as possible, put an end to our enslavement in this toxic culture, and create a future where we can be happy healthy, and free. Go to renegadetribune.com, browse the great content, and do consider joining the crew in publishing your own original work.